Last week on Let's Talk Supply Chain, I spoke to the CEO of One Stop Connections. That's right. Michael joined me on the show to talk all about port logistics and how they are changing the way the ports are thinking about how they are managing their business so that we can keep drivers moving, we can keep carbon out of the air, and so, so much more. So if you missed it, don't worry. You can go over to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast and check it out. It was episode 214 or wherever you subscribe to the show. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. E2Open is an end-to-end supply chain software platform helping the largest companies in the world with the most complex supply chains in the world. They are partnering with their customers on collaboration, visibility, network connectivity, and handling disruptions. And they see that the ultimate value lies in people and meeting their needs. That's why they partner with their customers. If you are looking for an end-to-end supply chain solution, check out e2open.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. I hope that you are getting into and enjoying all of our new live shows. We've got some great stuff coming at you. We've got Abby Bird once a month talking about the next generation of supply chain and what that means to you and what that looks like and how to find talent and how to position yourself and how to network. We've also got Eric Johnson hosting Log Tech Live. And the first one went so well, people are asking for more. And then we've got a new one coming out the third week of September that I can't wait to start telling you all about. Well, today I'm speaking to a superstar in the packaging space, and I'm so excited to have this discussion because I know that it is going to make an impact and change the way we think about how the products we sell are packaged. I'll let you know who that is after the question of the week. So the question of the week was, what's your greatest talent? And we had some really great responses, not only on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page, but also on my personal page. Linda says, talent is natural aptitude or skill or a former weight and unit of currency. Thank you for explaining that. And so the signature dish may be off the table here, but I've been told that I have the patience of job, which is something I can't take credit for, just like I can't take credit for seeing B2C as the unit, the new unit of currency back in 2012. Talents are gifted to us, but it is what we choose to do with them that makes the real difference. So make good choices, my friends. Rhonda says she loves this question. And Robert says playing trumpet since age 11 has become one of my greatest talents, but also a gift that I use to find my personal secret place. Thank you so much for Robert for sharing that. I used to play the flute in high school. I don't do it anymore, but I can totally relate to you on that for sure. So now back to today's episode. And today I'm joined by the fabulous Sarah Scudder, president and CRO at 
Real Sourcing Network to talk about sustainability and packaging. This is a really important topic because a lot of our economy is based around consumption. An average consumer in the Western world will handle more than 50 packaged products or items every single day. And so the conversations around issues like the air miles of those products, the labor practices, and of course, sustainability are key. These conversations have been buzzing for a while now, especially around settings like grocery stores. But sustainability in packaging seems to be yet another example of a dialogue that's been accelerated by the impact of COVID. E-commerce has been growing steadily, but no one expected the sharp jump because of the pandemic, and many are saying that that has contributed to changing our buying habits forever. People will no longer tolerate a tiny item being delivered in a massive box just because that's what a picker in a warehouse had to hand. It's wasteful, it's not cost-effective, it's not environmentally friendly, and it needs to change. And we're starting to see that now coming from big players and small vendors alike. Let's get to know a little bit more about Sarah before we dive into the episode. Sarah Scudder is president of Real Sourcing Network. Sarah is honored to win awards, but she is definitely not defined by them. So what defines Sarah? She loves helping marketing and procurement professionals transform the way they buy packaging to be more sustainable. How does she help? She speaks at industry events, serves on panels, hosts webinars, and writes articles for Sourcing Industry Group and Procurement Foundry. Sarah created Procure Rising, a magazine that uncovers the unique stories of doers in our sourcing community. Sarah hosts a monthly procurement series called Procurement Talks that features panelists sharing innovating strategies for maximizing procurement's value to their companies. And if you haven't noticed, Sarah is becoming a sustainable packaging LinkedIn celebrity. No autographs, please. So welcome to the show, Sarah. Excited to be here talking about one of my absolute favorite topics, which is sustainable packaging. So I think it's something that's really relevant and becoming more and more important today. I am so excited about this because we're going to be talking about some of those changes and innovation, the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to packaging and sustainability. And when it comes to packaging packaging and sustainability, you are it, Sarah. You are my go-to. And so I'm so excited to have you here on the show. So let's start with a little bit of bad news. Let's get it out of the way so we can focus on moving forward. So Tetra Pak has revealed that fossil-based plastic production is actually on the rise. Now, I, for one, was shocked by that fact because I really thought we were trying to move away from fossil-fueled production. What do you think about this? Yeah, so a little bit of education. Oil and natural gas are fossil fuels, and 99% of plastics are made from oil and or natural gas. So the greater the demand for plastic packaging, the greater the need for fossil fuels. Hmm. Fossil fuel plastics are commonly thought of as what you and I would think of as traditional plastics. So right now, people are not making plastic without fossil fuels yet. But scientists have discovered a previously known way that some bacteria produce a chemical called ethylene, and they're finding a way to potentially do that without using fossil fuels. Hmm. So 
kind of interesting, but plastic is bad for a couple main reasons. One, it harms the wildlife. So it gets into our sea creatures. People then eat those sea creatures, and then we're all injecting harmful toxins. The second thing is plastic takes a really long time to degrade in landfills. Yes. Average time is 10 to 100 years. So that's a really, really long time. Now, plastic is not all bad, though, and I want to be very clear about that. Plastics can actually do really good things to help protect the environment by reducing waste, lowering greenhouse gas emissions, and saving energy at home. And plastic packaging is not always bad. Sometimes plastic packaging is actually more sustainable than non-plastic packaging. So we'll dive into that a little bit later, but sometimes it's actually the best packaging solution right now. Wow, I can't believe that. And I can't wait to dive into more of that. But before we do, I just want to also talk about recycling, right? Because whenever we talk about sustainability and we talk about packaging around sustainability, we talk about or we think about recycling, even though there's also reusing as well. But let's focus on recycling because in my research and some of the scary numbers that I've come across is that only like 9% of the total plastic consumed is currently being recycled. I mean, 9% is a really, really low number. So why is that? Is it, you know, just because a lot of plastic just isn't recyclable? Is that, is that it? Or maybe the facilities don't have the up-to-date equipment or are people just not recycling plastic? Like, what is it? Where are we at in the recycling sort of mindset? Yeah. So the reason why the number is so low is that only good quality plastics can actually go through the recycling process. Really? Recycling facilities are spread out unevenly, meaning that in some areas, recyclable plastics cannot be recycled because there's no machinery that would allow for efficient selection and recycling. Hmm. New machinery has not been developed because there's not enough money in it for people to care. And there's another number uh, that Tetra Pak reported that 32% of all plastic packaging is never collected for recycling. And this is for four major reasons. And number one is something I talk about a lot. And when I work with companies, it's something I really stress. And it's the lack of clear instructions printed on the plastic. Hmm. Consumers don't know how to properly dispose of their plastic packaging. So they simply don't. They just throw it in the trash. Number two is that different cities and towns have different plastic recycling rules. So it's not uniform, which is very confusing. So Sarah, if you were here in the United States and you were in New York, you would have a certain policy and regulation for the facilities there. Then if you came to visit me in California, the recycling facilities here may have completely different standards. Hmm. The third is that recycling is just not about consumers separating used plastics, paper, metal, and glass into the right bin. It's about the actual market for the used goods. And there's a a study that I want to mention really briefly because I think it's really impactful. So a group of researchers decided to figure out why plastic that is recycled in the Nordic countries eventually find their way to the trash. 
And the answer is, it's just not profitable enough to use the recycled products. So what does this actually mean? The biggest obstacle they found is that it's not profitable enough to make new plastics from the used ones. It's currently more profitable to burn used plastics with other waste in an energy recovery plant to make electricity or for district heating than to actually recycle the plastic. Wow. Yeah. And then the fourth point is the market for recycled plastic simply doesn't work today. People who have recycled plastic to sell and people who need different types of plastics have a hard time finding each other. And that's because the market for reusable products is so fragmented right now. Crazy. So there's a lot of opportunity is what I'm hearing. And there's a lot of work that we need to do around mindset. And so I don't know about you, audience, but I'm feeling a little, you know, disheartened from what we're hearing. So let's talk about some of the good news and some of the positive initiatives that some businesses are championing and the attitudes of consumers as well. So packaging is actually one of the simplest ways for a brand to actually pivot towards greater sustainability. And it's something that I talk about in my upcoming course with LinkedIn Learning as well. And there's so much potential for change right there. There's lots of opportunity for innovation. And I think it's a pretty easy win. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I think there's a a misconception with a lot of companies that making their packaging more sustainable is going to cost a tremendous amount of money and take significant time and resources. So because of that, they feel it's too overwhelming, it's too daunting, and they just completely avoid the topic and continue on with their existing packaging program. And there are six ways that I'm going to share with you that you can assess and quickly pivot and make changes to your packaging that don't have to cost anything and or uh, it's a very, very minimal impact, but can also save money as well. And the first is making your packaging durable. This is the most important thing you can do to be sustainable. If you minimize the amount of product damage that occurs from getting your product to the end consumer, it's going to eliminate the need to have to use more packaging and increase the carbon imprint to reship out a product. So whatever you do, make your packaging durable. Do your testing and do whatever you can to get your product there without being damaged. The second is to minimize returns. And this is something that you need to actually partner with marketing on. And one of the biggest reasons why people return products is what they ordered or what they thought they were getting is not what they actually received. So make sure your product images are accurate. Make sure your item and product descriptions are accurate and give plenty of detail and make sure it actually represents the actual product. So minimizing returns is the second most important thing you can do to help with sustainability. Huge. The third thing is reducing the weight of your packaging. So if you are shipping products to to consumers and you can pull data and figure out 
information about the average number of or items you're shipping, the average weight of the items you're shipping, you can design packaging that's as light as possible. And what that does, it can tremendously reduce your costs because transportation costs are expensive. And in particular, this year, costs have gone up significantly. So lighter packaging means you're going to pay less in freight and transport. The fourth is something called right-sizing your packaging. And this means you want to make your packaging as closely fit the size of the products that are being shipped. So I post a lot about wasteful packaging on LinkedIn. And some of the craziest examples that I post and talk about are companies that ship a very, very small item, like a tiny broom, in a box that could fit a refrigerator or a single box of Band-Aids in a box the size of a microwave. So that is that is completely the opposite of what I call right-sizing your packaging. Mm. You want to make packaging that's going to best fit the items that you're shipping. And it's often important to have different size packaging. If you can go again and pull your data and figure out that the orders that you ship on average have between two and 10 items, have a couple different size boxes or bags so you can use the right packaging based on the number of items being shipped. The fifth is minimize the amount of packaging material that you actually use inside of the box. Mm. And this is something that you can do and instantly save money. So if you are shipping a water bottle, for instance, for those that are watching, here's a hydro flask that I use obsessively. This hydro flask has very, very low probability of being damaged. It's not breakable. So if I'm shipping this water bottle, I don't need to include massive amounts of bubble wrap or air pockets or recyclable paper in it. So think about what you're shipping and minimize or completely eliminate what you're actually putting in the box if the item is not fragile. And the sixth thing is to print clear disposal instructions on the packaging or use a QR code that has a note with, that says something like, scan here to figure out how to dispose of this packaging. And what this does, it allows the consumer to have a clear direction on what to do with the packaging. And it's such a shame because we've worked with brands before where they've invested the time, the money, the resources. They've completely pivoted to sustainable packaging, but then consumers get it and they don't know how to dispose of it. And then it lands up back in the wine landfill. So right. again, no extra cost to actually print that instruction on the packaging or have that QR code that a consumer can scan where you have a video talking to the consumer about why sustainability is important to your company and how they can dispose of that packaging. It's so smart. And it just, you know, solidifies what you and I talk a lot about is that marketing needs to be talking to supply chain and marketing needs to be part of that packaging. And it needs to be part of that story that you are, you know, giving to your customers and making them come back to, to buy from you. So what are your favorite types of 
packaging options that are maybe the most sustainable or most environmentally friendly that people can actually um, take a look at. Yeah, and you may not love my answer, Sarah, but it's going, it's, it's, it depends. So it really depends on what type of product we're talking about. For example, if you are a food manufacturing company, the type of packaging that you use might be something completely different than if you're shipping a cell phone case or headphones. So it really, really depends on the product and the industry. But I'll, I'll give a couple trends that I'm seeing. The first is the pivot to flexible packaging. So flexible packaging is something that allows the packaging to kind of bend and tweak depending on the shape of the item. And this can be a really sustainable option compared to aluminum, compared to glass. We're actually seeing a lot of food manufacturers pivot to flexible packaging with something called pouches, where you can actually have a tear top, you can use scissors to cut, or you can have um, an, a nozzle on the top that you turn to drink uh, the beverage and or consume the food. So flexible packaging can be a really, really good option because it's so much lighter in transport, because it's like a pouch or bag, because it moves depending on the shape of the product, you can significantly reduce the carbon imprint, take up less space in the transit process simply because of the shape of the packaging. Mm -hmm. So if you're not using flexible packaging today, it's something you may want to think about. The second thing is multi-use plastic in some cases can actually be more sustainable than other types of paper packaging. So all plastic is not bad. The thing I really recommend that brands um, turn away from and don't use are single-use plastics. Those can be really, really wasteful. But if you are using packaging, let's say, or materials to transport materials between warehousing or distribution centers, and you have something that's made out of plastic that you can use 100 or 200 times, that is actually... Um, potentially a more sustainable option than right. something that's made from paper that you're going to have to continuously use more and more material. Awesome. And so are you seeing that packaging is um, really becoming a competitive advantage for brands? Like I would assume that it is, like supply chain can be a competitive advantage. But are you seeing that packaging is becoming a competitive advantage and that like the next generation is really thinking about this so much that it's putting some brands ahead of others? So the answer is absolutely. And so the generation you're talking about is Generation Z, and these are kids born um, mid-90s and onwards. And this group of consumers has been known to be more focused on the environment and cares more about sustainability. And there was a study done this year that I think is really telling, and I want to share three of the facts that were done from this study. The first is that 37% of U.S. consumers prioritize sustainability when making buying decisions, and I am one of those 37. I make a very, very conscious decision to spend my money with brands as much as possible that I know prioritize sustainability and in particular sustainable packaging. 
The second is that 51% of supply chain professionals expect the circular economy to expand in popularity in the next two years. Hmm. And the third is that 30% of consumers are willing to pay a premium for products that deliver on sustainability claims. So what does this mean? This means that there's a group of consumers out there in the market that is actively seeking brands that focus on sustainable packaging, and they're actually even willing to pay more to get those products shipped in sustainable packaging. So it can be a really important brand decision to look at using sustainable packaging. I will note that if you're going to make that investment um, because you think, one, it's the right thing to do, two, it's good for the environment, but also it's going to help your revenue, you need to make sure you partner with marketing to leverage all of that messaging. So you're making videos, creating content creating information, highlighting and talking about how your company is using sustainable packaging. That messaging is super important. If you want to get the benefits of increased revenue, you have to market it and let the consumers know what you're doing. And there's a a couple companies that I want to highlight that I think are doing some really, really cool things in sustainable packaging. And one of them, Sarah, is actually in your neck of the woods, Canada Goose, which is known Mm. for their super warm jackets. They've made a major, major pledge to pivot to sustainable packaging, and they are committing to using sustainable solutions in 100% of their packaging by 2025. Wow. No Evil Foods, which is uh, in in my world since I'm a vegetarian. So No Evil Foods makes fake meat for vegetarians and vegans. And they, several years ago, did a complete overhaul and pivot. And all of their packaging is super sustainable. They've won awards for it. They have partnerships with nonprofits that are doing some really cool, good things for the environment. Another one with our mutual friend Madison um, is obsessed with, and I think she would like this plug for Ben and Jerry's, one of the most popular ice cream brands in the world. If you go to their website now, they have an entire section dedicated to their sustainable packaging pledge. Hmm. And they have committed to having 100% of their packaging free of petroleum-based plastic And they want all of their packaging to be recyclable, compostable, um, or reusable by 2025. So that's that's a huge, huge pivot. And then the final one um, that I'll mention, just because I think it's really interesting, is a company called Boxed Water. So one of the most wasteful types of packaging is actually single-use plastics from water companies, Mm. which is why... I use my hydro flask obsessively and bring it everywhere I go. So there's a brand that did a study and figured out the crazy amount of waste that these plastic bottles are generating globally in landfills. So they launched a company called Boxed Water, and they actually use zero plastic in their packaging, and they actually sell water that's made from paper. Now, again, the most sustainable is to not use that at all and use a hydro flask. But if you are going to purchase water, a company like Box Water has a more sustainable option because they're not using single-use plastics. 
Amazing. And I love all those examples. This is why you are my go-to for everything sustainable packaging. And if you're not following Sarah Scudder on LinkedIn, you absolutely need to go right now to LinkedIn and hit connect because your posts are just so eye-opening. Like you take pictures of, you know, receiving a small little battery in a big box and you're kind of like, guys, what are we doing here? And I think one of the biggest things to talk about too is empowering your employees, giving your employees the right tools. And by right tools, I mean the right size boxes, like you mentioned earlier, for that particular product or product so that they have the opportunity to pick the size box that is going to make the most sense for that particular order. Now, one of the things that you and I have talked about many, many times is Ikea. And I just want to talk about their shift into, I think it's like mushroom packaging or something like that. And the first question I had for you was, isn't that going to smell? So tell us a little bit about what Ikea is doing. Yeah, so Sarah, you bring up an interesting point. One of the things that I'm most excited about in sustainable packaging is the investment that some manufacturers and companies are actually making to come up with packaging made from new types of materials. Right. And some of these are hemp. Another one is popcorn. We actually just released an article and interviewed a gentleman in Germany who invented a process to make packaging out of popcorn. He's actually licensed it to a manufacturer and they're now actually starting to produce packaging made from popcorn. So one of the other examples, which is the one that you just mentioned, is uh, is packaging made from mushrooms. So IKEA is a huge consumer of styrofoam. If you think about the amount of furniture mm. and home good items that they ship and sell and store globally, it's massive. And a lot of their products and materials have been packaged with styrofoam to protect them from breaking. Well, styrofoam is one of the worst things for the environment. It ends up in landfills and takes a really long time to, to biodegrade, if ever. So they partnered with a company in Troy, New York, that has a new type of material, and their goal is to replace styrofoam with this new material. Now, the new material is actually made out of mushrooms. So other companies like Dell, for example, are also trying out this new material. So it's not just IKEA. IKEA is kind of the major one now because they're actually rolling this out globally. Now, I live in California and I am trying to place an order with IKEA to order some items so I can get this new packaging because I want to document the process. So what's supposed to happen is you remove your item from the packaging You're supposed to put it in your garden and it's supposed to completely biodegrade within three weeks. Wow. Now, the question is, right, isn't that going to smell? A lot of people don't like mushrooms or are absolutely disgusted by the smell of them. So what happens when it biodegrades? And then what does it start growing mushrooms? Right. So what actually happens when it biodegrades? So I haven't had a chance to test it out yet. But once I'm able to order some items that have that packaging, I'm going to and I'm going to document the process. But it brings up just a bigger movement about people investing in 
R&D and machinery and equipment and materials that are going to allow manufacturers and then companies to take advantage of packaging that's made from very different materials. Another one I've heard is people testing banana peels, people using parts from trees, right? Which is a, a big shift from the traditional types of plastics and things that we've used for a long time. It's going to be amazing to see. And that sort of just takes the whole process just that one step further. Now, really quickly, you and I have had a lot of discussions about sustainable packaging. And one of the things that I thought was the one of the most interesting things that we've talked about in the past is the numbers around the, I think it's the Tetra Pak, right? Can we just quickly go over what those numbers mean and where you find those on on your packages? Because I think for us as consumers, that's probably the best place that we can just really start to make a little bit of an impact. Yeah. So um, when you when you get a plastic bag, for example, or a plastic piece of packaging, you're going to most often see a little recycling symbol printed at the bottom. So it looks like, um, I I have a couple bags here um, for those that are watching that I'm gonna hold up. Um, So there's a, at the bottom of this Safeway bag, you'll see it looks like some arrows in the shape of a triangle. And what that means is that means that this item or this this packaging is supposed to be able to be recycled. The challenge is because there's no universal recycling standard, every recycling facility takes different types of plastic. So what's really important to do is look in the center of that arrow and you're going to see a number one through seven. So in the case of this Rayleigh's bag, here's my recycling symbol, and in the number, in the center, you see a number two. In the center of this Safeway bag, you're gonna see a number four. Now what those numbers are, it's something called a resin identification code, and this helps recycling plants sort materials. Recyclable plastics are labeled number one to seven to tell workers what type of plastic it is and how it should be processed. It also helps the recyclable collectors determine if they can even accept it or if they have to put it in the trash. So a number one and two are good. A number one and two mean it's the most common type of plastic that is able to be recycled. So number one is a type of plastic called PET, is is the abbreviation. And number two is HDPE. And these are the two, again, best types of plastic for recycling. So if you have something plastic, you look at the number and it's a one or two, it's almost always going to be able to be recycled. And so it's a high probability you can go ahead put that in the recycling, and when that gets to the recycling center, they're going to be able to recycle it. Anything after a one or two, it's kind of a crapshoot. So what what I would recommend doing is calling your local recycling facility and find out what numbers they accept 
on the scale of one to seven. It may be one to four. It may be one to five. It just may be one and two. And that way you can be proactive. Look at your packaging. If it's a one or two, for instance, put it in the recycling. If your local center doesn't accept anything outside of that, go ahead and put it in the trash because it's not going to do any good putting it in the recycling. The recycling center is just going to have to remove that and put it in the trash. So little tips that you can do at home to, to do a better job of recycling those materials. I am so glad we talked about that because that's not only good for consumers, but it's also good for businesses as well. Because if they recycle a lot, they can also contact their local recycling plant and also see what they take and what they don't take to make sure that they're doing the most that they can in their facilities and organizations. So let's wrap up then. Let's remind businesses why they should be incorporating more sustainable packaging into their strategies. Let's take a look at the a closer look at the benefits because you know, as we often see in this area, sustainability is just, it's not just the right thing to do. It also makes great business sense. So Sarah, can you sort of like wrap this up for us in some tangible ways that businesses and people can sort of come together around sustainable packaging to make the most out of it? Yeah. So one of the things I mentioned earlier, and I think this is just huge for whether you're a company or a consumer, is you want to try to make your packaging as light as possible. By doing that, you're going to reduce the carbon imprint, which means you're being more eco and more sustainable, which is better for the environment. But you're also re reducing your freight and transit costs. And let's face it, companies are driven by money. If they know that they can save money or make more money, they're going to be more motivated to do something. Yeah. So there are five tips that I want to leave you with on things that you can do to make your packaging lighter, which again, makes your packaging more sustainable, but it's also going to reduce your costs. And the first is to pack your goods in corrugated cartons. Not only is corrugated packaging stronger than regular cardboard, it is lightweight as well. Thanks to the three-layer the three design that effectively produces air pockets between the outer and inner layer. So instead of using cardboard, if this is something your brand is using, think about corrugated packaging as an alternative because it's lighter and still provides that great protection. The second thing is use lightweight packaging material inside. So if you are shipping something that's more breakable or fragile, there are things you can use that are much lighter, like air pillows. They are almost weightless, but they provide really effective cushioning. The third is have a custom carton designed. This can more precisely match the shape and size of the products that you're shipping, which means less packaging materials are needed. And when I mention this to brands, sometimes they cringe and think, oh, that's going to cost so much money. We don't have the budget or resources. We have to think about how much product you're shipping. And if you're shipping a, a, a fair amount of products every day or every month, and you pay to have your packaging redesigned, you may very, very quickly offset that redesign cost by the reduction in freight and transit. So you want to do that cost-benefit analysis to see how much would it cost to redesign versus how much will that save me. The fourth is using something called a foam insert. 
So foam inserts are designed to fit the shape of your product and cradle it within the shipping carton. They're very, very strong. They're great at protecting the product, but they're also very, very lightweight. And the fifth one is using something called water-activated tape. Now, this is something that the average person probably doesn't even think about, but this can really, really add um, significant weight and or reduce it depending on the time type of tape that you use. So when you put a strip of plastic pressure-sensitive tape on your package to seal it, you often have to do several strips to Mm -hmm. actually close it and secure it. Well, every time you're adding that strip of tape, you're increasing the weight of that package. Hmm. So if you use something called water-activated tape, abbreviation is W-A-T, it's also known as paper tape, gummed tape or craft paper tape, it creates a really strong tamper evasant seal and you just need one strip to secure the package. Mm -hmm. So by using that, you are potentially lowering the weight of the package instead of having to have five or 10 strips of tape to close the box. Amazing. And I think your point about redesign and actually designing the the box with your brand on it can also result in new business. So when you're thinking about outlaying the costs for that, also think about how visible your brand is going to be. So it's kind of, you know, two birds with one stone. And so that was such a fascinating discussion. I mean, conversations around sustainability are just so important. And particularly when it comes down to things like packaging because that's what's disposable. So there's a big impact there, whether that packaging goes to landfill or to recycling or even to reuse it. You know, how much of it is it is there is really going to make a difference as to how your consumers are also going to buy from you and how you're thinking about sustainability as well. It's, it's really something that brands need to consider more carefully, especially in the changing consumer attitudes, which we talked about earlier. Sarah, once again, you have blown us away with all of your knowledge. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you again for having me. And for those listeners who are scared and afraid and just don't even know where to start on this sustainable packaging journey, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. And I have a new hashtag now called Scudder Says, and I post useful information almost every day about sustainable packaging on LinkedIn. So if it's a subject you want to learn more about, I recommend you follow that hashtag as well. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. 
If you would like to hear more, we have plenty more podcasts for you featuring the best and brightest in the industry. Head over to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast to check out the latest. And remember to come back next week where I'll be talking to Source Day all about everything that they've got cooking in the supply chain industry. And I can't wait because we're going to reveal so, so much. So if you've heard the name Source Day, you definitely want to tune in. If you haven't heard the name Source Day, you also really want to tune in to find out more. And if you enjoy our podcast, there's a few ways to support the show. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or even on Clubhouse and TikTok. You can subscribe to the Let's Talk Supply Chain YouTube page and subscribe to our newsletter over at letstalksupplychain.com. You can also find some really cool merch and purchase our exclusive supply chain dictionary in our shop at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. And remember, if you want to be featured on an upcoming episode, all you have to do is go over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.